Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I usually look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. However, today, something slightly different. I'll be stepping back to take a look at seasons two and three, as the podcast has finished season two, and joining me in that effort is Pete from phgeek.com. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt, and thanks for having me again. My pleasure. So, yeah, it certainly is good to have you back. I know uh, we've been having a lot of fun over at the Alcatraz podcast, uh, getting into J.J. Abrams' new show. But, uh, you know, it's always a good time to step back and look at uh, the masterpiece of the bunch, Lost. The classics. The classics, indeed. So, I guess, uh, you know, my general goal for this is to kind of have two parts today. Um, I kind of would like to take a step back to look at season two in terms of yeah, I think that that really was the season where the show kicked it into high gear, uh, lots of fan involvement, lots of fan mystery with the hatch, things like that. And then for our second half, spend a little bit of time talking about uh, season three, which I think a lot had you know had a lot going on. Um, the first six episodes uh, were broadcast in the fall, then they went away for about twelve weeks, came back to do the remainder of the season. Uh, I think that many people, uh, and a bit of a shocker here, myself included, weren't too happy with those six episodes, weren't very happy with the return, but then by the time you get to the end of season three, it's perhaps the greatest season finale of all, certainly in terms of being shocked, where it's like, when, when did Jack When did Jack have that beard and drive around <laughs> a beat-up truck? I, I, I can't right. figure it out, and then it's, you know, we have to go back, and you're like, what just happened? So... And I think, too, you know, and, and just talking with you uh, about this, you know, an issue of first impressions versus lasting impressions and, you know, where we were when we watched it and where we are now and where they fit into the series as a whole. I think there's uh, there's a lot to chew. Absolutely. So let's uh, let's dive into season two. Uh, of course, it I think there were many people, uh, certainly not myself, but there were many people who were surprised to see that season one kind of ended, you know, ended ended in a cliffhanger, ended mid-scene. Um, you know, so there we kind of started with, uh, you know, in those first couple episodes, really getting to see the hatch for the first time. Well, we've talked about this on the Alcatraz podcast by PH Geek, and you have said that you believe the season, the first season of uh, Heroes to be the greatest season all time of a television show. Um, I feel very strongly that the first season of Lost was the greatest season I've ever watched, uh, soup to nuts, of a television show and the way that it ended. And the idea that we were coming back from that, they're coming off an Emmy win, I think there was certainly a lot of buzz. Um, There were people who were tuning in for the first time. And uh, I had just actually gotten season one as a gift the first season I had ever owned of a TV show uh, and rewatched it frantically leading up to the beginning. Yeah, I think many, many people were in that same boat, uh, you know, getting the DVD, frantically rewatching. I believe, and, and I don't have Lostpedia open at the moment, but I believe that uh, the season two premiere was the most uh, most watched episode of the entire series. Uh, which, on the one hand, rightfully so, given all the buzz uh, over the summer, the Emmy win, etc. I think on the flip side, there probably were a lot of people who turned it on and then were like, 
what's with all these people and what's going on? And there's a hole in the ground and there's like, you know, just people who, if you know, kind of, you know, the, the curse of the show almost is, could you pick it up in season two without having seen an episode and know, be able to follow? You well, know? certainly I had been watching it with my in-laws and they bounced in season two. They, they left it and I, I think they did lose some viewers. But I think those that stuck around were increasingly treated to, you know, this rich tapestry. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, tapestry is almost uh, an ironic word because, you know, there were there were elements in season two that uh, not, that were not present in season one, particularly surrounding the hatch. Uh, I remember, uh, you know, online chatter, listening to the Lost Casts podcast different forums, etc. The amount of time and effort bringing it back to to a tap, notion of a tapestry, uh, or at least related visual art, uh, the amount of time that people spent thinking about discussing and analyzing the, uh, the the painting that was on the the concrete wall in the hatch was just astonishing. I remember, you know, people were, you know, taking different uh, different photograph, you know, different screen grabs of, you know, different shots of it melding it together, massaging it together, changing the light on the left so it equaled the right. And, you know, at the end of the day, did that mural really give us anything? No, what they did is, you know, Jack Bender's a mural artist and, uh, you know, was privy to some of the advanced stuff in the script. And they were just like, hey, go, you know, paint some stuff in there that people could chew over. Definitely. I have to say that I wasn't really scouring the internet for clues at this point. You know, I, I had my own theories at the time of what was going on, but... You know, they, they did give you a lot visually to look around and to reference and, you know, to really kind of stoke the fan involvement with the theories. Yeah. Well, I mean, even, I mean, there's, uh, what, there's two uh, two orientation films in, in that season. Mm-hmm. Uh, or two and a half, if uh, if you want to include the uh, little film snippet that, uh, that uh, Echo and Echo Company. Finds. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, to me it was just, there was such a great, you know, the, it was such a great wild ride for um, for that season. Um, on the flip side, I think it, there was times it went painfully, painfully slow. A lot of the Ben stuff, you know, where Ben's in the gun locker, and um, you know, it's just like, especially there's the one scene where where he goes, uh, you know, Ben's finally let out, and he says. Uh, you know, oh boy, uh, you know, you have cereal, you have this, you yeah, guys don't ask milk. a lot of questions. Yeah, you got any more milk? And we're all <laughs> well, sitting there I going, mean, can you ask some more questions, please? <laughs> you say slow, but I would characterize that as a slow burn. You know, we were we were building and that wound up being really pivotal stuff in retrospect. I, I agree it was absolutely pivotal. I just remember the experience of watching it kind of in real time where you only got one episode every seven days. And it was just, it was rough. It was, you know, it was, and, and it, this here is not a complaint. I mean, I'll certainly have some complaints later on, particularly uh, in season three, but I was just kind of this glorious slow burn, you know. So I, just, you know, good, certainly good stuff there. What, uh, what else from season two kind of stands out at you for, uh, you know, as we kind of step back and look at the big picture here? The Other 48 Days is uh, an episode I've gone back and watched a lot. Um, You know, I I didn't care for the whole what Kate did thing. That was never really a mystery that engrossed me. Mm -hmm. Um, The stuff with uh, Echo 
was certainly good. We got to see, you know, full view of the smoke monster for the first time in the 23rd Psalm. Um, you know, the whole Ben thing, and, and we had done that uh, a little while back. Um, lockdown and, and the appearance of the, the black light stuff of the, on the door of the hatch or the hatches or the island or whatever it is. You know, um, we have the, the crazy, you know, out of left field murder of Anna Lucia and Libby and then the impact there. And then, you know, as you mentioned, a, a wonderful, wonderful finale. Well, a couple of things I'd like to hit on first, the, uh, the blast door map and then uh, Anna Lucia and Libby. Um, I, I guess you didn't spend a lot of time back in the day analyzing the blast door map then. No, I did, but I, I think you spent a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely did. I remember, particularly, let's see if I can remember the name. There was a website. Oh, I can't remember it. I'm sure that there's people listening who will know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, and they can write in, I'm sure. Absolutely, yeah. There was a guy who had just, you know, taken, um, because there was, okay, the day after the episode aired it was when a new Entertainment Weekly hit the stands. And right. they had, they had uh, this is were after you lockdown. you a big reader of... Uh... I was asked this question the other night of uh, Doc Jensen, right? Um, I wasn't a huge reader. I okay. kind of, you know, there were only so many hours in the day, so I kind of, I, I dedicated myself to, uh, you know, to, to certain lost venues, not others. But yeah. yeah, I mean, Doc Jensen definitely was huge, and I know that, you know, let's say the, the weekend after lockdown came out, between the, you know, Entertainment Weekly had kind of an exclusive annotated version of the map. And then you know, other people had done other screen grabs and mixed it all together. And um, there was a guy. Oh, if I if I if I had a list of ten websites, I could be able to pick the guy's website out of it. I just cannot remember the name for the life of me. But he had kind of created what, at least in my opinion, was like the authoritative version, where it took you know, it kind of it was like the cleanest, nicest looking version. And I just remember sitting there, you know, online with family members, listening to podcasts, etc. You know, what are these Cerebus vents? What could does that have to do with the smoke monster? What are these, you know, there, you know, what are these different lines there? You know, lift up your eyes to heaven and, you know, beware, you know, dragons here and just stuff like that that ultimately, like I think a lot of season two, you know, as beloved as season two is, I think a lot of it is them saying, all right, audience, chase your tail now. We're going to, you know, we're going to throw a mural at you. Spend all week figuring out the mural, which ultimately has nothing to do with anything. What well, begs the question, do people have a right to be upset that a lot of that material never paid off? Um, I would say this, uh, you know, as somebody who did stick around, it, it paid off in that, you know, I mean, I've told the story on the podcast before and I'm sure, uh, I'm sure, well, you as a as a loyal listener, I sure remember the story, but uh, just in our conversations as well, I remember Wednesday when uh, I guess it was probably the episode entitled "Numbers." When we first see the numbers in season one, um, I went. You know, we live in the East Coast. I went on Yahoo search at nine oh five, right after the episode had aired. Typed in the numbers, got nothing. Come eleven, twelve o'clock, you know, come that evening after the episode had aired in most of the country. Um, there were a whole bunch of searches that said, what are these numbers from Lost? And just day by day, watching the amount of theories and thoughts and whatnot uh, add up, that was a joy in and of itself. The fact that the numbers just kind of, you know, basically end up being coincidental. I mean, yeah, they're also the candidate, you know, there's kind of the, the candidate uh, numbers at the end and all that. But given that it basically is just a bit of fun to have, and most of it is a coincidence, 
the fun was searching the stuff out. The, the fun was having the conversations, you know, outside of the show. I think, and I agree with you on the candidate stuff. You know, it's all how serious you're going to take it, and then you know what kind of, um, you know, what you're going to read into it. And you know, as we're doing with Alcatraz right now, although in real time, as com- as a compared to you know what we're doing in Lost in retrospect, you know, trying to attach meaning to things we're seeing right away, as opposed to you know being able to settle in over the long haul and being able to say, okay, this is what mattered, this is what didn't. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I remember reading some some tidbit. I want to say maybe it was in TV Guide. I don't know. But it was, I think that it was in the summer before season two. I just read some tidbit somewhere that said, this season you're going to find out why the plane crashed. And wherever I read it, it mustn't have made a big splash or whatever. But you know, sure enough, that's what, that's what it ends up uh, being by the end of the season. And I think it's an example of, um, I was going to say expeditious storytelling, but it's the opposite of that. But I don't want to make it sound like season two was was you know had too much fat. But it it could have been you know that uh, you know Kate gets lowered down in the hatch and Desmond goes, "Hey, how's it going? Uh, what are you doing here? I thought everyone was dead. Oh, we've been here forty four <laughs> days. Forty four days. I pushed a button forty four days ago that sends out a giant magnetic thing. Really? Our plane was made of metal and it crashed. Oh, I crashed your plane. Boom. Lost title card. You know." Well, I think I may have mentioned to you my theory about what was going on in the hatch. I thought Desmond was Desmond, no D, and I thought you take away the S, demon, I thought the devil was inside. I thought it was a reverse Pandora's box, hence the quarantine and a lot of stuff there. Well, a theory that I've kind of developed all season on, you know, here on Looking Back at Lost, and that I really hit in the uh, the uh, two podcasts for uh, uh, Live Together, Die Alone, is Desmond as a Christ figure. And I agree to, to with... To my Antichrist. <laughs> well, to your, anti, to your Antichrist, but insofar that the show flips things around. You know, like, who's the guy, out of everybody on the show, who's the one who, if you were in trouble, you'd want to go to? Me? You're asking me? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Jack. Jack, really? You don't think yeah. he'd be he'd be tempestuous and cranky that you're like, you know... He I, wouldn't I, let it go. <laughs> he'd find out. <laughs> well, I think, well, at least for myself, I'd say Saeed. And to me, you know, 2004, you know, we're a couple of years after 9-11. We're, you know, you know ramping up to, uh, you know, a, a long and bloody stay in Iraq. And, you know, irony of ironies, who's the guy with the golden heart, the guy who, you know, just wants to search for love, the guy who always wants to do the right thing? It's the, you know, the guy that looks like one of those quote-unquote bad guys. Um, Al-Qaeda. Yeah, yeah, quite frankly. To quote Tony Soprano. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, to me, the fact that we expected the worst inside the hatch and literally got the guy who, you know, come season six would go from this life to the next – and back again, and back and forth, and back and forth. But you know, he would be the one to kind of, you know, move from this life to the next. And while he's in the next life, help people understand their place in that world and move on to the kingdom of heaven, sort of thing. You know, to me, that's kind of all in line with I don't know the uh, the way Lost took a lot of storytelling and flipped it around on its head. Well, that they remove him from another hole so close to the end of 
the series and then they put him back in another hole. And I think there was something about rolling away a rock. And if he saw his shadow, there'd be six more weeks of winter <laughs> and uh, all this other stuff, you know, see in another life, brother, you know, I'm, I'm audience, just so you know, I'm, I'm having fun with this right now. <laughs> um, you know, but I, I, I think, yeah, there, there was a lot of uh, winking at the audience. And at the same time, you know, he is a character of, of destiny and the way that, you know, a, a thing that I come back to at the very end of the show is, you know, when he says to Jack before he goes in the, the final hole he'll ever go in on the show, um, you know, telling Jack, you know, I've been there, I've seen it, you're there too, that kind of thing, this unity. Right. That they share, you know, this connection. So uh, just to back it up a tiny bit, are you possibly suggesting that the show would have been better served had the stained glass window at the church not been a series of multi-faith designs, but rather the face of Bill Murray from Groundhog Day? <laughs> uh, no, I like it the way it is. I, I really appreciate the – I wouldn't change a thing about the end. I, I love it. Um I think it ties in very well. I've incorporated it, um, you know, uh, in my day job as a, uh, as a teacher of high school English and I've incorporated it with my, uh, my senior honors class, uh, since it ran to kind of clarify, uh, with another work that we look at, you know, the, the unity of being and, um, you know, it's the individual choices and then the big things that add up and, and what truly matters. And, the way it speaks to people at the very end of the end and how right. well that works. And it, it's really kind of clicked. Before we, uh, before we wrap up discussion on season two here, uh, any, uh, any final thoughts, any regrets that they never really returned to the, at least to the hatch set. I know somewhere in, is it the beginning of season six where you see the hatch or beginning of, end of so, season five? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know there's the explosion at the end. Yeah. I guess it would be yeah in season five and at the end of season five. Um, any regrets that we never saw the hatch again? No, not really. I think it served its purpose. Fair enough. Then uh, I guess with the uh, review of season two behind us, let's now take a step at season three. Uh, I know. Well, I'll share with you my kind of my individual perspective. Sure. Obviously, you know, season two ends on a high note, a fantastic high note. The notion that you know Penny is out there, others are out there. Small O here, and. Um, you know, ABC made the decision to finally address this issue of we don't like reruns and reruns aren't conducive to a show that you need to watch every week and remember each week and, you know, get on the horn and say, you know, hey, Pete, you have some knowledge on, you know, ancient Samaria. Are there any ancient Samarian references that we should know about? Um, so they, they chose to do six episodes in the fall, go away, and then come back for the remainder of the season. Um, so why don't we start there with those six episodes? Well, just a personal anecdote between seasons two and three, I had been to Hawaii. Uh, my wife and I went on our vacation of a lifetime there and we actually cruised all the islands, um, you know, and Hawaii being so key to the lost experience, you know, was, was really a, a drawing point uh, for me personally. My wife's not a, a watcher of the show and, um, you know, they film on Oahu and Ironically, that's the island we spent the least amount of time on. <laughs> but then to um, to come back and just knowing they were filming, we were there in August, and knowing they were filming at the time when we were there, 
was really cool. And then to come back and see these landscapes, knowing, oh, all right, somewhere we're on the high seas, you know, look real close in the background. Maybe you'll see our boat, <laughs> that kind of thing, you know, um, pretty cool. And, uh, you know, I really like the beginning of uh, season three. Yeah, and I find, uh, I find that interesting because certainly my experience was my experience watching it then, and um, I don't believe I owned, I ever owned the uh, the DVDs for season three. Um, it, it's going to be an interesting experience going back to watch it for the podcast because I felt like in those first six episodes, on first viewing, way too much time with the others, not enough time with the people we care about. Uh, now again, that might change because we do care about. Um, many of these characters a lot more uh you know in retrospect juliet being i think at the top of that list but um to me it was just kind of a lost momentum i even felt you know you you referred to uh the end of that sixth episode where it's you know kate damn it run you know to me i remember kind of vaguely being unimpressed maybe i was in a bad bad mood maybe it was just like oh here's another zinger from lost but uh, what was your what was your uh, feeling about that the end of that episode? We're talking about I do there at the end. Uh, yes. Okay. I just wanted to go back real quick, and you know the the season three opener is a tale of two cities, which is an episode I've gone back and watched quite a bit. Um, just looking at the air date here, and I remember this because you know it was October fourth, two thousand six. It was actually the New York Mets uh, first game into the uh, two thousand six World Series. So, you know, I had that on my plate that day and then I was having a viewing party that night and having a bunch of people over. So, uh, you know, rem- remember the run up to that quite a bit and, uh, you know, the tortured Jack story there. But um, with I do there at the end of that little six episode block, you know, uh, wonderful dramatic tension start to really kind of peel back some layers. Jacob is mentioned for the first time. And just a very, very tense scene at the end with Sawyer. And I really thought they were going to kill him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the more you, the more you talk and the more I kind of, uh, the more I kind of anticipate what it's going to be like to watch this. I think that, um, I think that it's probably a case of, you know, like if you're a kid and all you do is eat at McDonald's, the minute, (laughs) the minute somebody sits down and says, here's some filet mignon, you know, you kind of look at it and go, uh, where's the ketchup? So not that season two is, you know, a McDonald's meal versus filet mignon, but I just think because the flavor changed, perhaps perhaps I wasn't, I don't know, fully prepared for it. Um, I do see here for Tale of Two Cities, and I can only imagine that Lostpedia is accurate, written by, that the teleplay is by J.J. Abrams and Lindelof, and then story by Lindelof. I thought that J.J. had cleared out cleared out and went on to you know bigger and brighter things at that point i think he had had some sporadic involvement in in uh spots with the show early and then you know by 2006 they were in the process of getting ready for the new star trek movie um and which later spurred me to go back and watch every single episode of star trek ever filmed leading up to the to the release of the new movie trying to be you know, caught up and, and get references and, and things like that just in case. But um, I did not know he had anything to do with that. And uh, I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, it might have been some, some, I mean, I don't think he ever fully 
left. I think that, you know, it, as a kind of as a, an executive producer, I think that he's involved to a certain degree, but part of his being, you know, the guy, the great bad robot guy, I think part of that is, you know, saying, okay, you know, Lindelof, I've trained you this far. Now you must, you know, carry on yourself. Um, perhaps this too, this also was at a time, maybe it was after Mission Impossible 3, but fully be- before uh, a lot of Star Trek stuff. So it's like, hey, I'm not doing anything. So let me spend some more time at, uh, you know, at the Lost Offices. Right. And I think it further builds his ethos, you know, that he could go back and help to write, you know, an episode of TV and then be directing, you know, a major reboot of, you know, one of the, I mean, what would we call it? A top five franchise among all entertainment. You know? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, I've heard, I've, I've heard, uh, actually, I think it's somewhere along the way, uh, Ron Moore has said that uh, at Paramount, when people refer to the franchise, they're only talking about Star Trek. That's, that's simply what they mean. Um, and they have that kind of, you know, uh, long-term point of view, perhaps to the, you know, to the uh, damage of a short-term point of view. And I don't know, making another Star Trek show at some point, like you Which could they better do, man. I mean, it, it belongs on TV. How we don't have a Star Trek channel, and I'm, I'm sorry to your listeners just for the brief rant, but because Star Trek is ref- referenced so heavily in Lost, you know, Boone's line about red shirts in the first season. And, oh, yeah. You know, things like that. And and the fact that, you know, what I dug and what I immediately went back to the moment I heard J.J. Abrams was involved in a reboot for Star Trek, just salivating, knowing, you know, at least many of the writers and, and Lindelof uh, in particular, you know, being able to throw out references beyond the casual, of course, to that. And, um, you know, just the idea... I mean, think about it when we talk franchise. I mean, really only James Bond has more movies than uh, Star Trek. And then you bring in all of the TV. Yeah. You know, 767 episodes. Okay. And, you know, Lost comparatively with its, you know, 100 plus, whatever it winds up being, you know. 121. uh, Okay. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess speaking of Lost, hey, let's talk about Lost a little bit. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, no need to apologize. It's uh, just an example of the kind of fun that we have on the Alcatraz podcast. Yes, so, by PH Geek. <laughs> um, so after that, you know, after that long break between I Do, we come back in February to Not in Portland, uh, which was a Juliet episode and, uh, you know, 13-week break. Um I remember on first viewing not being impressed with it at all. I remember feeling like the the momentum to the show had had been um, had been lost, no pun intended. And I actually, if you'll pardon the shocking news here, I had said this is the first episode of the month that I'm going to give to Lost. And if if in these four episodes, three oh seven, three oh eight, three oh nine, three ten, it if I don't see some kind of glimpse that, that lost is back, then I'm going to bail. Well, hopefully your listeners don't, you know, uh, pull a similar stunt here. My <laughs> faith, I'm very happy to say never wavered in this show. Um, you know, maybe that's the reason that, you know, Locke had been my favorite, uh, character for so long. 
um, you know, looking back at those first couple, I mean, I was hotly anticipating the resumption of this season after we had that, you know, mini break. And, um, you know, I, I love the sympathetic Juliet tale at the start. We get a great Desmond uh, episode after that, flashes before your eyes. Then we get what you and I will universally, you know, uh, refer to as a stinker in Stranger <laughs> in a Strange Land, which, what does it do for us again? It tells us the fascinating backstory, <laughs> not of a Crash Survivor character, like the Jacks and Kates and Hurleys of the world with interesting secrets like, you know, daddy issues or, you know, self-doubt, as in the case of Hurley, or the tortured past, as in the case of uh, Sawyer or Saeed. No, this is an episode that tells us the fascinating backstory of some ink, the ink on Jack's arm. It's the story where a tattoo gets its own flashback. Not for the purposes of, say, (laughs) your Miami inks, your LA inks, your New York inks, you know, rocking it with Ami James. No, this is Jack's stupid tattoo in Thailand where Bai Ling, a minor, minor celebrity, no offense to you, Ms. Ling, I'm sure you're a listener, um, <laughs> we get to find out that he's cranky and gets a tattoo that says something. What is it? That it says like he, he's with us but not among us. What, what, what is it? I believe it's along the lines of that. And, you know, something that by the end of the show, you're not really – Remembering, oh, so now when his father's telling him that every moment they had together mattered, oh, that's what it meant. He walks among us, but is not one of us. I'll tell you what, and again, a little bit of a of a Star Trek reference. There's that very strange woman in that episode, Isabel. Okay. That we meet that really, you know, if she had had pointed ears, would have been a Romulan or a Vulcan and, you know, would have just very she was very cold she was very calculated there was the whole what did they do to juliet the branding or the caning or the whipping or whatever <laughs> went on that was never fully explained right that that i was intrigued by like what went on here their system of justice they they let her out of death they branded her or marked her in some way instead you know and the, the parallel that that creates to the tattoo in the, the ritual, you know, marking or whatever, you know, it's an interesting episode as it fits in as a whole. It doesn't, it's filler. And and we know that, but at the time you're not watching it thinking, wow, great filler episode. <laughs> you're watching like, I want more meaning. Right. Like oftentimes I think that um, many of the sun and gin episodes are fillers in the best sense of the word. They don't spend a ton of time advancing, you know, on island story or revealing fantastic things about their past. It's just, you know, it, it, it you know, it's an opportunity to stop and and survey everything. The the Sun and Jin episode where uh, I can't remember the title at the moment because I'm looking at all the titles for season three and my brain is blocked. But the one that um, in the beginning, Jin is told love is orange. I think it's it actually might be the first. Yeah, it's probably the first son. Uh, it's the second one. Um, but anyhow, you know, Jin's friend says, you know, you know, Jin's single. And it's like, hey, you know, here's your fortune. Love is orange. And then, uh, you know, there's there's Jin working at the hotel and, you know, getting yelled at for being the fishmonger's son and all that. And then towards the end of the episode, they um, he sees, you know, like 
Korean hottie, and he kind of turns, wearing orange, and he kind of turns and kind of nods and shakes his head like, no. And then he turns around and boom, bumps into Sun. And there's just this moment where it's like, it was love. At, you can see in their faces it was love at first sight, and we know it's love at first sight. And then meanwhile on the island, you know, Jin is gone. Um, and it ends at the very end of the episode. It's Kate and Sun looking out over the sun as it sets. And what color is the sky? Orange, because orange. love is orange. <laughs> that's a filler episode finding out about jack's stupid tattoo is just a waste and would you like to hear my my theory my secret conspiracy theory can you hold your theory just one second so <laughs> i can refute you on sun and Jin being filler because if you're gonna say they're filler i'm gonna say that they fill your heart because they always filled my heart and the thing <laughs> that people uh who know me when we were watching the show and the the close group that i watched it with that we chewed it over um, you know, I loved their story and you always came away satisfied when it was one of their flashbacks. I, I totally agree. And I think uh, I'm here using the word filler pretty liberally to say. I should say so. <laughs> the, the point in a season where you can't go, you know, action, action, smoke monster, action, action, reveal, action, action, fight the smoke monster, kick him off a cliff and win. Like when you need to just step back. I mean. Lots of season two is, to go back to season two for a second, lots of it is filler from the most direct line from beginning to end. That doesn't make it fat. That just makes it the the road, you know, the more interesting road traveled. Like, you know, like I said before, it could be, hey, what's your name? I'm Desmond. Uh, da, 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 da. And literally before the title card in episode 201, you could have had Desmond say, nice to meet you, Kate. I hit a button, magnetics, your plane fell. But they take 24 episodes to do that. That doesn't mean that those episodes are filler. It's just the 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 colors of the rainbow as opposed to black and white. Definitely. So now may I conspiratorialize here? Absolutely. Here's what I think. Let me just scroll down here to see. I think I think that there were two ladies at the lost writer's office who were asked to take a bullet, who were asked to do the the greater good, if you will. Those ladies are Elizabeth Sarnoff and Christina M. Kim, writers of Stranger in a Strange Land. I think that they were told, we all in the writer's room know that we are the captains of this show. Sure, there are actors and directors and other producers, et cetera, et cetera. The magic is the written word. And we can't write episodes indefinitely to find out stupid things about these characters and interesting things in their past. So I think that they were at, I think they said, Elizabeth, Christina, here's a grenade. It's called the worst episode of lost ever where we find out that Jack gets a tattoo. Can you please jump on that? And then we can go to the network and go, you want us to whistle Dixie and, you know, fill, 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 because you don't want to tell us, you know, because here, here's the basics of a story beginning, middle, and end. And we're perpetually caught in the middle. So expect a lot of stranger in the strange lands for a while. And I think that they just did the entire show um, in good faith, knowing that it was a bad episode, so that they could then go to ABC and say this here's what you ordered here's what you ordered which is endless episodes about meaningless things and not kind of cute you know crisscross moments of you know and then you know Locke gets wheeled by in the background that was all fine for seasons one and two we, we can't really do much of that anymore to make it interesting and here's what you get 
So your thoughts? Well, first off, that you would nominate that episode as the worst episode of Lost when we have, you know, a universally agreed upon stinker, you know, a couple episodes later in Exposé with the Nikki and Paolo flashback and the appearance of Billy D. Williams on Lost and the whole thing there, I, I think is kind of harsh. Exposé um, has one thing that makes it better than the worst episode of Lost. Okay. They kill Nikki and Paolo, <laughs> and Nikki gets essentially tortured in her dying moments because she's buried alive. You know. Hopefully, you're, again, your listeners aren't reading too much into <laughs> you know the statements you're making right now. I, I think that I think that my long-term me. listeners know that I'm less interested with burying women alive than I am uh, punishing bad characters, and Nikki and Paolo are the worst, and. It's I don't even know if Nikki Nikki and Paolo might have been an outgrowth of the same maybe not this, you know, hey, jump on the grenade, let's make a bad episode, but just kind of like, what do we do with these people? We know them so well after 48 episodes. What are we gonna do with them? Hey, I don't know, let's int- you know, introduce some new people, not just on the others end. Let's introduce some new people, uh, you know, in quote unquote in the background who come forward. Um would they have done, you know. Other new people were added in subsequent seasons. None of them in that way. None of uh, them really came with that much like Ballyhoo. I remember reading quite a bit at the time, like, "Oh, we're going to see people we haven't seen yet that were on the plane." And you know, Rodrigo Santoro of, is the Brazilian Tom Cruise. You know, yeah, and and a fairly juicy role in Three Hundred, not long after it, and you know could have been star making material on top of that you know and at the risk of sounding a little too much like jerry seinfeld you know it was like who are these people uh it was just you know popping up in random things and then you know suddenly he's flushing the toilet you know in in you know flashbacks of things that have happened before and you know, I, I they were forced. And, if, you know, it was around this time that they made that call, too, which, you know, has to go down in the annals of TV history as, you know, the first time it's ever been done to decide that far out an endgame, at least as far as a date number of episodes for the end of the show proper, because I think it was in reaction to some of these, you know, uh, water treading exercises that were kind of going on on the show. Well, indeed, on Lostpedia uh, Pedia for Stranger in Strange Land, it says this was one of the series' most poorly received episodes. The negative fan reaction even prompted ABC to let producers set the show's end date. There you go. So, kind of as we start to work our way out of the mire of at least the middle of season three, um, I remember being, it was somewhere in there, somewhere in that, you know, March, April range um, where. All of a sudden online, this news article hits. End date for the show. We're in season three. Uh, After this season, after May, Lost isn't going to come back until the winter. Oh my goodness, what a long time. You know, here we've lived and died with this show for three years. And then it's going to be, you know, what what was the initial plan? 16 episodes? uh, 16, right? Right. And then, you know, weren't we talking strike at that point too? Or, you know, I remember... Yeah, strike was not on the radar then, but it was just like, whoa, 16, epi- you know, 16, 16, 16, and we're done. And just imagining what, you know, imagining the future of what that, that May in, uh, in 2010 would be like. Um, 
when the show would end. Um, to me, that's another hallmark of season three as well, even though that's not a season three uh, story. Um, you know, it's it's not a season three story in, in terms of the show, but um, to me, that's one of the headlines of the season three experience. Definitely, definitely. I, I think it's all part and parcel. And again, you don't know that watching it, you know, in retrospect, unless you watched it then, you know, or you're coming to learn about it now. Um, so be interested how uh, new viewers would uh, would come to the table on that. Absolutely. And then, um, yeah, I guess, I don't know, with that in mind, should we just uh, start to move ahead to look at uh, Through the Looking Glass? Sure. Uh, I remember, you know, I remember so distinctly watching that episode with my folks. And, you know, we would kind of, most of the time we'd watch it, um, you know, either DVR or on the DVDR or whatever. And, you know, occasionally we'd pause. Usually my dad would get persnickety and be like, why are we stopping? Let's just keep watching. But, (laughs) you know, it would kind of be this, when did Jack have a beard? And it was all this stuff that just did not fit. And I think that um, watching it initially, none of us really stops to say it doesn't, it keeps not fitting because, like, why aren't you finding where this fits in the flashback timeline? Get your head out of your butt. There's a reason why you're not finding it in your, you know, why three adults can't remember where in the flashback chronology it is. It's not a flashback. When the series was at its ratings height, in maybe like the beginning of season two, I remember seeing a parody video of the lost writer's room. Like, okay, flash forward, flash back, flash sideways. And that <laughs> they wound up doing all three. I mean, those guys, I need to unearth that clip and, and know like how close to the mark they really did hit it. And I get what they were parodying and, and everything there. Just that there was an unpredictable nature before we wound up, going to these devices and that kind of thing. You know, what's Jack reading on the plane? Who's in the coffin? Yeah. You know, everything there. You know, the the anagram of the the funeral parlor. Hoff's you know. drawler, which yeah. maybe I was just exhausted after a long season, parts of which had me question my faith and lost. I'm a bit ashamed that I didn't. When I saw Hoff's drawler, I'm a bit ashamed that right then and there I didn't try and unscramble it. Let alone, I didn't either. I I wasn't there to, you know, solve anagrams as I was (laughs) watching the show. You know, I'm looking at the picture of Jack pointing upstairs, talking to that other doctor when he's, you know, addled on painkillers, and he says, "Well, you go up there and you get my father, and he can straighten all this out." Not knowing, like, ooh, we're talking about heaven and not dad being in the or you know and none of us was going to uh be saying that at the time um did you take that as him literally pointing up to heaven or jack is so you know crazy on the on the wawa pills that he thinks his dad is upstairs as chief of surgery watching it in the in the the frame of mind that i was it was you know and again, we had never seen a flash uh, forward. So how could you look at it at anything else? But, you know, my father is upstairs on another floor of the hospital. Right. That right. kind of thing. Um, yeah. And I remember, too, you know, that newspaper clipping tons and tons of, you know, 
high def screen caps and people have rewritten <laughs> it with like spaces and you know this is the approximate number of letters that are going to appear in this space so what can you fill in there and um you know and then i guess just to move to the end of that episode just when you that last scene where you know kate appears and you're like wait but they definitely didn't ever meet uh before the plane crash what's going on right. and and then you know we have to go back kate we have to go back and you're just like go back like i remember and then the plane it cuts to black like the plane takes off and it cuts to black and you still hear the plane taking off and it's just like now we wait until the winter yeah i mean they i mean listen it's why i think as long as tv is a medium people are going to be going back and looking at this show for a lot of the things it did for the first time and not in the chimpy, you know, oh, it was all the imagination of an autistic child in a slow in a snow globe type of, you know, reveal. Um, you know, that that was a a major like, wow, okay. So not only did they get off the island, now they want to go back and where this show's gonna go. And, you know, th- there have been some arguments like did they peak creatively there and you know, a lot of stuff to that. And I think they actually show us too much of what happened before in the pickup in season four of that episode. They give us too much of a chunk before. But again, they've got to try to maintain an audience and to capture new people um, as we're watching at the beginning of season four. But that's probably a discussion for another time. Absolutely. Maybe uh, you can come back around in about 25 weeks and we could uh, talk about season three, season four. Anytime. Now, Pete, surely you must have some stuff to plug. Isn't that why people go on other people's shows? Well, not <laughs> me. <laughs> well, Pete, what what are you working on that are you know the fantastic, intelligent, uh, and thoughtful listeners of Looking Back at Lost might also like? Well, certainly, I think a lot of the listeners of Looking Back at Lost would like to read your and my and our colleague. Uh, JPR, uh, Justin's uh, take on uh, phgeek.com, where we write dissertations in geek culture. And each week we ponder a topic and uh, anyone can write in and be unlocked and they can respond in long form as well and really kind of examine a lot of these larger mythic ideas we're looking at both in shows like Lost, in Alcatraz, in movies, in literature, video games, all these types of things. Absolutely. And speaking of Alcatraz, I'll just remind everyone that uh, you and me, as well as Justin, we're doing the Alcatraz podcast uh, in conjunction with each new episode of that show. That's available at alcatraz.podbean.com and uh, by searching iTunes for the Alcatraz podcast by phgeek.com. Definitely. And uh, if people are looking on uh, Twitter for uh, that kind of information, where can they go? They could go to uh, Podcast Alcatraz. Certainly check it out there and uh, follow us. Also, just uh, if I can plug for your listeners, uh, PH Geek on uh, Facebook, there you could uh, get an idea of the types of topics we're talking about. Uh, Also get some insight into uh, what's currently going on uh, with Alcatraz and the Alcatraz podcast by PH Geek and participate in polls and get on there and like us. 
And uh, on that note, I'll just mention a few other quick uh, housekeeping items. Uh, a reminder that this is going to be the last episode of Looking Back at Lost. Not ever, but on uh, releasing on Mondays. It's going to be moving back to Friday releases starting next Friday, uh, February 3rd. And uh, that's also when Season 3 will be starting. So uh, you can start to check it out then. And uh, if you'd like to share feedback, you can uh, say hello to me on Twitter, where I'm Looking Back Lost. You can send an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. You can leave a uh, comment on the website, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. And of course, you can always leave a review on iTunes, where reviews are always appreciated. So with that, Pete, thank you very much for stopping stopping by via the Skype machine. Thanks again for having me. And uh, yeah, it's been quite quite a lot of fun. So take care, everybody, and bye bye. Bye bye now.